Hello, everybody. This is Joshua Atten with One Nation Under Whiskey Podcast. I'm joined today, and I'm joined as always by the one and only Jason Johnston Yellen, who I'm looking at over this FaceTime. And he has that face. Do you know that face when you're on a Zoom call and you're doing some sort of a chat, and there's that person who has their finger up and their mouth open because they want to say something? <laughs> Whoa. Do you Zoom your proctologist? <laughs> My proctologist Zooms. Gets right in there. <laughs> yeah, I only find the proctologist who says zoom zoom. <laughs> soon because I have, soon because I have eye line, he starts saying zoom zoom. I think it adds to the fun. Well, he drives up in his in his Mazda, little zoom zoom zoom. <laughs> I was I was just laughing previously because your your first attempt at the intro resulted mm. in you saying, "Oh, that wasn't as much fun as I thought it was going to be." <laughs> And, and I figure you've heard that before in your life. So it's <laughs> what your proctologist says to you, to be fair. Oh, man. Just to be fair, it's what I say to my proctologist as well. It was not nearly as fun as I thought it would be. <laughs> but here we are anyway. Oh, we have moved into the delightful old man times style of humor, right? We're now joking about proctologist visits. And neither one of us is out of our 40s. No, I know. I know. Yeah, I haven't, uh, I haven't delved into the world of proctology <laughs> or being the victim thereof. Well, uh, and your proctologist yet. hasn't delved into the world of Joshua Hatton. So, seems fair. Do you buy any of your, like... <laughs> zoom, zoom? <laughs> toiletries, cleaning supplies, oh, anything gosh. like that from uh, proctologist and, and Gamble? <laughs> that was such a long way <laughs> for something that was not worth the It was payoff. not worth it, but I thought the extra <laughs> words might spice it up a little bit. <laughs> Proctologist and Gamble, please, please don't send us a cease and desist. We, uh, we sincerely apologize for that last attempt. That's actually at just a, a two-activity night. It's just a little Proctologist and Gamble. Go to work, go to the casino afterwards, you're done. Hopefully you win a little money. Oh, oh gosh. Actually, yeah, I, I think there's a tighter joke in there. It's not, it's not any funnier. A <laughs> tighter if, joke. I see what you did but there. If, <laughs> but if you went with proctology and gamble, mm. it's what the proctologist does all day and then does in the evening. Proctology and gamble. But it doesn't sound anything like Procter and Gamble, yeah. so it's a much it's also, less payoff. It's, it's also nowhere near as funny as what I said. So there we are. That's, uh, that's <laughs> he checks his watch. I, I would agree with you. It definitely was not funny. <laughs> <laughs> but then we're just talking degrees. <laughs> uh, remember, I remember I said I guarantee you my wife will text me in five minutes. That's mm -hmm. because we, we hit the record, but she texted me right on schedule to let me know she is still at the office. <laughs> that's good to know. There you go. You know what? Now you don't have to worry. I like that. Well, guess what? Chicken butt. She's going to head up to College Woods in a few minutes to check on the buckets, and then she'll be home. I have no idea what that message means. Don't let her know you said that. <laughs> it's like, oh, She's the buckets, the of buckets. course. Of course. you talking yeah. about the buckets? When she gets home, the first question I will ask her is, how were the buckets? <laughs> How were the buckets? Oh, is she talking about the bucket family? Like on Charlie and the Chocolate Charlie? Factory? Cheer up, Charlie. Charlie. 
Worst song in the whole movie. I used to fast forward as a child. There is no doubt about that. Because it was terrible. Yep. 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 Cheer up, Charlie. Although it's the one that I return to most in adulthood. Is that true? Because, uh, wait, hold on. There's a difference between adulthood (laughs) and parenthood. Is it something that you glommed onto once you became... A parent who had to ensure their child lived a happy that's, life? That's a fine point, sir. That's a fine point. Yes. 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 Cheer up, Zevi. I... <laughs> <laughs> if you don't mind, I try not to use his name on the podcast. Oh, sorry. Cheer up, younger Johnston yelling child. <laughs> Cheer up, insert blank here. <laughs> Uh, hey, Joshua. Yes, sir. If I can have your attention for one second. You, you had me at, 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 hello, everybody. This is Joshua Haddon with One Nation Under Whiskey. <laughs> I had you at your intro. That doesn't make any sense. Keep going. It is International Women's Day today. I tell you, living in a house of women, my wife, my two girls... Being being the child of someone raised by a, a single mother, super oh. important to me. Super important to me. Um, mm. So yes, I, I I definitely acknowledged it immediately. I have to say, I I hosted a tasting in Alexandria, um, probably ten days or so from this episode dropping, mm-hmm. and I was really impressed by the number of women who were in the audience. Okay. And guess who were the people speaking up and asking questions and throwing out tasting notes? I hope it was women. The very same women. There you go. It was absolutely terrific. I think I've been paying attention these last few years mm-hmm. as, as a lot of us have, have talked openly about opening doors and our, our mm-hmm. very own Jess Lomas has, mm-hmm. has talked about gatekeepers and who are we bringing in through the doors? Mm-hmm. Who are we making feel welcome? And I am absolutely noticing not just seeing more women being involved, yeah, but hearing more women getting involved and hearing about more women getting involved. Is- it's it's tremendous. It's really exciting. It, it's it's a great, it's such a great delineation. The the way you characterize those three different scenarios, right? We, you. you and I would talk for a few years about whiskey jubilee, and when we were running that festival, seeing how the the attendance increased as far as its percentage of women that came in. Mm-hmm. But there's a difference between women participating and, and feeling comfortable to participate, right? That, which is another thing, but also in raising hands, in raising voices, in asking questions. Because quite often, unfortunately, th- women don't always feel comfortable to, to do Absolutely. just that. And, and the fact that you, you've seen that, I, I really excites me. It makes my heart sing. I like that a lot. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, no, I was I was very happy myself. I, I'm curious for you, Joshua, mm. as you're doing these market visits and, and suppliers are coming in with impacts, mm-hmm. are you seeing women in positions of 
spirit buying? Are you seeing female retail store owners? What what's that landscape looking like? Because I'm I'm not as involved in that side of the industry as I am on the tasting and consumer side of things. Well, that's interesting. Uh, you know, I I would argue that you know I, I I'm now. Whew, what what day is it? March eighth, Jason. You're gonna like this. March eighth, International Women's Day, is going to be my eighth year anniversary at Impex Beverages. Oh well, there you go. There you go. There you go. And over- I'm glad we've been able to make International Women's Day about Joshua Hadley. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> Finally, we have been waiting this whole time. It's been the matriarchy just keeping me down. Finally, finally, it's about me, Jason. <laughs> now, just to be clear, just to be clear for our listeners, uh-huh. I know that's a joke your wife and girls make in your All house. The time. Yes, I just want to be clear for our listeners that that was not you improvising on the moment and saying something that could be perceived as. As a little misogynistic. No, I was I was being silly, joking about the truths of the matriarch. No, sorry, I was I was being I was being very I was being facetious or whatever yeah. word that is. That that is I'm, this mom and on? Is that what this is? This is mom and oh my gosh, is this like QAnon for moms? Mom and on? Who is M? Who is M? Who is M? It's the matriarchy, Jason. It's the matriarchy. There you go. The truth um, is out there, Joshua. <laughs> so here's the interesting thing. Um, you know, over those eight years, I would argue that those doing the purchasing at stores. I love you continually positing these arguments. I love this. I would argue. I would I would put forth. I would suggest. I would posit. Are you done or can I go on? <laughs> yeah. What would you argue, Joshua? Let me hear this argue again. I would argue that. One it, more for those in the back. Oh my gosh, he's still going. Right, here's the patriarchy well taking over. You're stepping over. I don't feel comfortable answering these questions. I am gatekeeping this argument. So there you go. Um, oh my gosh. Oh, I'm not going to ask One you. More. I, I, One more. There's something I was going to ask you, but I'm not going to ask you. It has nothing to do with this. So um, <laughs> something that I that I've noticed, and it's never struck me as anything unusual. It just seemed commonplace is that there was a fair number of, of women and men who are the spirits buyers at shops. Is it 50-50? I wouldn't say it's 50-50. Maybe it's 60-40 men to women. You know, there's, there's a good amount. And part of that has to do with, well, I don't, I don't know if it specifically has to do with this, but you hear, we've heard over the years that women simply have better palates than men. And yep. it yep. makes sense for a female to be in that position of spirits or wine or beer buying because they they get it. They understand their palates are sharper. They're more um, attuned to what's going on. So whether that's the reason for this seemingly larger number of women who I would sell to, maybe that's part of it. I, I I don't know, but I've never seen what I would view as a massive disparity of more men than women. Now, having having said that, I'm not a woman. And so a woman's perception of that may very well 
be different. I may have some inflated view of, of what that looks like. So all I can mm-hmm. do is sort of sort of share my perspective. However, I think you've you've set up something so perfectly because a dear friend of ours who's been on the podcast before, Holly Sidewant, actually wrote in uh, just last week or so after having listened to our episode with um, Susanna Skyver Barton, another Mm -hmm. wonderful female in the industry, Mm -hmm. as a retail owner wanting to discuss DTC, direct-to-consumer sales. And so that's that's an email that I thought we should bring in a bit later on uh, in the episode. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely perfect. Any any chance to hear from Holly is is well received. So I'm excited to cover that email. If we and just really yeah, quickly and, yeah. and, and how, how cool is that, right? When when we first met Holly, she was working at Gordon's um, Fine Wines and Spirits mm-hmm. in Massachusetts mm-hmm. as a spirits buyer. And, ah yes. Right? And then she went yeah, on course. to join the the Bacardi team and looking after there's single malts, and, and I imagine some of their other stuff, but single malts I know was a focus for her. And here she is now with Charles Grubitsky owning First Fill Spirits in, in Saratoga, New York. So it's, right, it's talking to exactly your question, which is which I think is great. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Along that line as well, in today's interview with Felicia and Stephanie on Macht, you'll hear in, in the beginning of this as we're, as we're setting the scene and, and framing this farming life into which they were born. Mm. They're talking about a strong matriarchal line and they didn't know that they were going to be the International Women's Day episode. You'll hear in the interview, uh. I tell them almost at the very end of the interview <laughs> uh, that, that that's where they're going to fit. Yeah. But... But to kick off with this, they're talking about their grandmother being the one at the dining room table oh, wow. with you know pencil in hand and calculator and and working out the books for the farm. Then they're talking about their mother taking on mm. that same role. Mm-hmm. And now here we are talking to, to Felicia and Stephanie about their role in yeah. this farm as well. Yeah. Um, an absolutely fascinating lineage that also included a side, a side of the family that were teetotal and wow. had no interest in selling grain to be turned to alcohol production. And then the, mm. you know, the, the question becomes, how do the economics of farming fit in? Sure. How do you make a farming proposition work if you're willing to say no to one category of, yeah. of purchaser. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, a real real cracking conversation. Uh, t- two, two funny ladies and, and good-natured. Uh, <laughs> the fact that they're sisters never gets too far away. Uh, there's, there's a little bit of their back and forth. Okay. Uh, has echoes of our own back yeah, and forth with, with, yeah. without us being... You know, blood relations. Uh, yeah. We we have a certain brotherhood between us, mm-hmm. and and so to hear the sisterhood between uh, Felicia and Stephanie was was really cool. Um, another one of those moments where we're meeting for the very first time. We're covering a bit of history for 
you know, their farm and, and their company, Whiskey Sisters Supply. But by the end of it, there's a need to return to the conversation. Yeah. There's a need to say, okay, we've got the history and the framing done and out the way. How do we get, how do we push these issues further? Mm-hmm. And so we, we definitely did. We, we left the interview saying, well, let's do this again in the future. And let's continue this conversation. And, you know, this, this kind of stricter focus on farming, soil, water, climate, um, yeah. family, family and farming economics. Right. Right. It's, it's a pretty real conversation. And, and I felt like Felicia and Stephanie were pretty straightforward on it. And it's going into exactly what we said we wanted to do with this season, right? To, yep. to talk about climate, to talk about culture, and, and talk a bit more about farming and, and grain. I, lo- I love this. We may, I think we may have mentioned it in a previous podcast that we're going to have David Thompson uh, from Spirit of Yorkshire mm-hmm. talking mm-hmm. about farming and, and that culture there. And so, yeah, this is, this is great. I feel as if we said we're going to do a thing, and now we're doing said things. Yep, and I, I made reference to, to David Thompson in that interview uh, while speaking with Felicia and Stephanie as well. Oh, nice. Oh, um, nice. Yeah. And I, th- there's a reason that I did, and it'll become clear as, as the listener goes through uh, the interview. So I'm, I'm not going to say too much more. I will say, of course, Joshua, as the listener's about to hear, you were missed mm-hmm. in this interview. I, I'm sure we will have you as a, a part of a future conversation as we return to some of these themes. But it was it was me on my lonesome. Yeah, it 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 gutted me to not be a part of this conversation. But you know, speaking of lifting up women and letting women lift themselves up, uh, we had a, a meeting with the school counselor to to go over colleges for my oldest daughter and and uh-huh. and how she can prepare for that and applying for them and She's become an amazing student and is excited for academic life. So it, it sucked missing this, but uh, hopefully you, Felicia and Stephanie and the listeners understand. Well, happy International Women's Day to Delma when she listens to this episode. Without further ado, here's Felicia and Stephanie Onmacht of Whiskey Sisters Supply. Felicia and Stephanie Onmacht, welcome to One Nation Under Whiskey. Thank you. Before we jumped into this, you just moments ago told me that your last name means to pass out. (laughs) And you come from a family that historically has not consumed alcohol. Is that safe to say? At least in the last, our grandparents' generation on our mom's side. Now, my dad okay. has some prohibitioners, but the farm was a teetotaling family. So the okay. Onmachs were the rebels. Yeah. The Gurgans <laughs> were stayed in the box. <laughs> and so Gergen Farm, mm-hmm. as your farm is named, is through the paternal line? Am maternal. I, no. I'm maternal. Patern- maternal line. Yeah. So the maternal is the Gergen so your father's side then had prohibitionists in it. 
Are are they all of similar extraction, Gergens and Onmachs? Were they all coming over from Germany or somewhere else? Mm-hmm. How the heck did did they all get together? So we're German Irish. So our grandmother is Irish. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and and um, yeah, very very Irish on her side. And then Gergen is um, Irish and German. Um, and then on my dad's side, it's all very strong Germans. Okay. okay. Both sides were in Kansas mm-hmm. until Grandpa Charlie crossed over into Colorado looking for making it rich with his own land in 1907. Yeah. Oh, perfect. I, w- I was going to ask you, when abouts would that have happened? And yeah. so 1907 gives us a nice little marker. Oh, I like that. Now, is it one of those family things where... He was off finding his own fortune, or was it one of those family things where he said, enough of this family, I'm out of here? Ooh, that's, Stephanie, we should come up with a story around that. that that's a juicier story than the one we have. We don't know. Right? Yeah, he just ended up with a plot of land. He just ended up, yeah, and we, our story is, is that he was coming on, and, you know, he's by himself, and he was on his wagon, and... There is a broken wagon wheel that we have, and so we assume that the wagon wheel broke right where he needed to like stop off. He kicks his hat around. He gets really mad at the at God, and is like, "Well, maybe this is a silver lining, and this is where I put my uh, put my stake down." Uh, for international listeners, this is such a classic American out west mm-hmm. position, right? You, you went as far as you went until things broke and then you just made the best of yeah. a bad situation. Right. That's Absolutely. remarkable. So speaking of making the best of a bad situation, you were both raised to move away from the farm. It was not believed that you would take over the family farm. That's no. right. Steph, you want to run Did with you? that one? <laughs> well, and it wasn't probably, you know, farming is a very tough lifestyle, very unpredictable. You are, you know, at the hands of mother nature in terms of is it a successful year or not. Hailstorm, windstorms, drought, frost, you know, freezing temperatures that kill your crop, all those different things. And they wanted better for their girls. There's three of us. And so they really encouraged a college education and go work and go find your, go find your way. The, and so we didn't think much of it. That's what we we're going to do. We necessarily didn't want to stay in the farm either. We wanted to go see what else was out there in the world. As we've come back to operate the farm more closely, we learned that there probably just wasn't enough money to support any of us to come back because it was really mm-hmm. hand to mouth. And so maybe they did want us to come back, but they knew financially they couldn't afford to even have us come back. So it was kind of one of those like shoe, you know, out of the nest children because there's nothing for you here. There's just not enough money to go around because it was such a tight operation. And it continues to but, be a very tight operation. And, and we will most definitely return to that very message. <laughs> um, but, but you grew up on the farm doing jobs on the farm. You were rolling up your sleeves, hands dirty after school at weekends. Was it, was it that type of setup? It's... Um. It's a little bit of both. We had farm animals. <laughs> yeah. Like 
I had a herd of sheep, so you know we had market sheep. You had sheep. a herd of sheep. We had a herd of sheep, Stephanie. <laughs> I was involved in all of this. <laughs> they were my sheep. You oh, just boy. took one to the fair. <laughs> oh. I thought it was only Scotsmen who fought over sheep, but I'm really glad that the two of you are rolling up your sleeves here. Fine. <laughs> All I know is that the one, my favorite ones are the ones my mom and dad fed me on my birthday, so <laughs> never oh. told her. <laughs> they went to the butcher, really that was great, but then they there. came back to the dinner plate on my birthday, which was always sad. Um, you learn quickly not to get attached to your animals. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. So we had animals, horses, all that kind of stuff, but we were less in the tractor. Yeah, it was, we came from a... Um, it wouldn't age well now, right? <laughs> this kind of philosophy, but <laughs> women were not meant to be in the tractor and out in the shop and doing all that stuff. So weirdly enough, I still don't know how to drive a tractor. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I, wanted, I want to get in it, but we, the way we have the farm set up now, it's, um, it wouldn't work. But yeah, I really want to be in the... I want to learn how. Sure. And I think part of it was we had hired help. And I think, you know, Grandpa was very protective of his granddaughters, and therefore, and he probably figured we'd crash something or break something, and he didn't want to be mad at us, so. <laughs> That's probably actually so, really what was wrong. <laughs> Don't bring them out here. Do not bring them out here. <laughs> they're going to they're gonna mess so, up my day. <laughs> just get in the way, get under wheels. Yep. So, so were you all... Okay, you know, obviously it would be different for each of you. I, I know siblings have their own opinions about things, sometimes even sheep. But <laughs> were you were you somewhat disappointed to leave that life behind? Were you excited to move more into a city? Was getting off to college an escape from the farm, or or were you disappointed? I was ready to go. I was ready to go experience something different. Um, I don't know about you, Steph, but for me. Being in a small town was was challenging, um, and so I was ready to go. I do appreciate small towns now, though, and they're very important. <laughs> they're very, very important to the economy and to, and to everything. Um, but, yeah, it was hard. I was ready to leave. Gotcha. And Stephanie, same true? No, nah, a little different. I loved <laughs> – I did love my little community growing up in the small town, and Everybody knew everybody, and it was a really great support system to raise kids. It wasn't... I would agree if, with you on that. Absolutely. If I misbehaved, my mom would knew before we got home, right? It wasn't like... <laughs> she'd just be standing there and be like, hmm, got anything to tell me? And we like, no, nope, nope, everything's fine. Well, so-and-so called. So, are you sure you don't want to tell me? So, what a great way to raise kids, right? You could just put them out there and... Somebody will rat oh, on you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I actually really enjoyed it. I did, but I really wanted to go to university and do my thing. So I think in both worlds, I enjoyed both pieces of that, but I was excited to leave. And I mean, in my, we graduate, I graduated, and especially you about the same graduating class. Yeah. It was only 50 was people in my graduating class. Mm -hmm. And there was only 15 girls out of what the remainder of the guys. So I was looking forward to mm. meeting new people and new friends and yeah kind of broaden that way yeah and to dig myself out of the hole for small town people <laughs> I would agree <laughs> right you knew everybody and yes I wanted to get out and experience more as well too for us in Scotland there were you would even strangers were even allowed to clip you around the ear so not only were stories making at home before yeah. you were 
but you had probably been punished by a stranger for the thing you'd been caught doing nice. uh, while out and about as well. So. <laughs> That's so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that really took the fun out of a lot of things. Yeah, I did. Uh, that, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> that we still did. So, so you, went, you went off and you, you lived these lives. Mm-hmm. And I know one of you was in corporate. One of you was a uh, homemaker mm-hmm. and, and raising kids. And then, did you then get drawn back to the farm or had had it been percolating in the head? Like, I'm, I'm curious for two people who were ready to move away, what then brought you back? I think it was our grandmother from the dead, <laughs> from the other <laughs> side. She was well, the, this is taking a turn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Rosemary, we call her nanny. Um she, I think, still likes to be involved to this day to be like, look, I'm still controlling things. Um, she, so just to set this story, she died in 2010. <laughs> so she's yeah. been dead for 13 on, years. On the, day, on the day of my husband and I's wedding. Because <laughs> God okay. forbid she couldn't be there. So she likes to really still be involved. <laughs> and she was and the matriarch the of the... Or is that the German side? The <laughs> oh, yeah, she's all Irish. And she was the matriarch, so... Grandpa was out with dad. Dad and grandpa were out working the land. Grandma was the, pushing the pencil and running her calculator all day, trying to make sure we could make ends meet. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, she literally probably was trying to run the farm on her deathbed and then was. continues to try to run the farm from the other side. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's so, awesome. So Steph had a stint as um, Project Runway. Um, she was on a clothing designer. Clothing designer. And awesome. you can take over at any point, Steph, but my perspective on this is uh, she, she was at a, one of her fashion events here in Denver and Law's Whiskey House, Al Law's, was still slinging his booze at the time because he was still small. Mm-hmm. And she sees the whiskey. And of course, both of her and I were drinking whiskey neat at that point, um, oh, went to go get some. And she was talking to him and I let you continue on and what... What happened? Oh, what happened? So, of course, I probably had been just a few drinks in. um, And I was, you know, still, I was starting to wind down my clothing line. I had a clothing line for five years. And um, it's kind of a night out where I wasn't in the show and I knew all these people. And, of course, I was, I'm like, free whiskey in the corner. That's me. And so I was all dressed up to the nines, feeling pretty good. And and I'm like, I meet this gentleman. Didn't know it was Al at the time, but... um, He's like, here, taste it. And he had all of his grains sitting out, you know, on, well, we use this grain and this grain. And I was like, oh, fantastic. I'm like, where do you get your grains? Oh, I, you know, my, he, the cereal grains, as we would talk about it, but he was like, you know, the wheat and the rye um, and the barley are coming from the uh, San Luis Valley. And I'm like, oh, what town? He's telling me, I'm like, oh, I know, if, I know farmers down there, you know, because of course, if you're in Colorado, you think you know, if you're a farmer in Colorado, you think you know every other farmer. And we had some, you know, over time, Flush and I had had some connections for farmers in Alamosa. And um, I'm like, no, I don't know them. I'm like, well, so where's your corn from then? He goes, well, crazy enough, I still haven't found my corn supplier in Colorado. And I deadpan looked at him and said, well, then you should be buying corn from me. This is on. She calls me the next day, and I'm like, "What are you doing? What have you done? Are you sure?" And of course, I'm the crazy little sister that's like, "Whatever you want to do, Steph, we'll go do that." That sounds like a great idea. 
Yeah, so I don't think Al probably took me seriously, sadly enough. And so um, I followed a schedule-up meeting. I think you came to me, with me, Flusha, to the yep. schedule-up, the follow-up meeting, and said, no, I'm dead serious. We have a farm, 2,200 acres out in eastern Colorado. We grow circles and circles of corn. I'm dead serious. Like, this is something. And so then he started to listen. He's like, oh. Okay, this just wasn't this random girl who had had a few <laughs> drinks coming up with some random story. Um, and I ran the business model, and at the time, there weren't farmers supplying distilleries. There's a few corporate you know, companies that were kind of more focused on the craft, on the craft side of the house in terms of supplying grain. Gotcha. And um, said, so, you know, there's an opportunity here. But then we ran into the challenge with mom, because yep, mom did not alone. think that that was such a great idea. Yeah. She'd be like, oh, mm-hmm. God, girls, no, your grandfather's going to roll over in the grave. We cannot do this. This is not a good, no. Yeah. Be- because of this selling to yep. for alcohol yep. as opposed to just corn for a small distiller. Yeah. It was, it was the, yeah. specifically the alcohol So issue. Grandpa mm-hmm. never tasted alcohol, never looked at it sideways. And there was, wow. we had, yeah. his side of the family had some trauma behind alcohol from a couple of his relatives, um, immediate relatives. And so alcohol, again, was not permitted on the farm. And so she's like, yeah. And, of course, Grandpa died in uh, 2001. And so he'd been dead a good long time. And she's like, but I can't do that. You know, it's my responsibility to manage the farm as they would wish, right? And we're like, but seriously, there's an opportunity here to get a, a little bit of a premium on what we're doing. And this may help pull us out of a lot of financial difficulty to rewind it Mm -hmm. twice you know once in college and out of college we'd get these phone calls saying hey the farm's not doing well Mm. we don't know what we're gonna do and we're in the city going well i don't know what to do either like i don't know either like what do i do to help other than what send a check home because you I, I, and, and it wasn't enough, right? The the, the yeah. bills are so high, um, and even then, you know, according to just inflation and stuff, they were high. Yeah, there was just well, no way. So the si- market price for corn back then, let's say, it was three three fifty at bushel, and the cost of just the inputs to produce it was four dollars. So no matter what you did, you were still a dollar fifty cents short. Mm-hmm. And they were operating this way, and you're like, what does a farm do? What does a farm do? So back to this. You know, grandmother, you know, working her magic from the bar stuff. I'd never ran into Al and never had felt like I could have that conversation. Like, well, then just buy corn from us. We'll figure this out. It's not a big deal. We've got plenty of it. We'd probably never be here because we weren't sitting at the dinner table one night drumming up ways to save the farm. Yeah. We just figured they would sell land and it would be over. Right. You just you just you move on and it would suck. And our mom would would keel over right then and there. as She signed the paperwork to sign it off. That's a frightening proposition. Yeah. It, um, so, so that was the kind of the beginning that brought us back to the farm, but in a different capacity that we could have never imagined. And it was kind of on our terms as well, which kind of made it really work. That Flush and I came together, which I never thought that as sisters we would work together. Or oh, you guys, she hated me in high school. I couldn't even like. <laughs> I'd like walk Dude. up to her and she'd be like, "Leave me alone." <laughs> you would date the guys in my class. You would blah 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 blah. And I'm like, come get your own life. <laughs> what, what was the age difference then? Were you were you quite close, or did you make it quite far but still accommodate the high school age gap? We still accommodate. We're two and a half years apart. A little over two and a half. A little under two and a half. Yeah. 
the minute I got my car to go to college, she took the car at 16. So, yeah, we were just exactly enough to share the car very briefly. (laughs) My my kids are three and a half years apart. Joshua's kids are about three years apart in that window, maybe less. And so we're we're, we're watching that as they're moving into high school and through high school. You know, how do the friends group friend groups break down and mm-hmm. who gets what and the older ones starting to drive. It's it's a whole oh. thing. And, oh, and I can the little parent. sibling drama with that one. The older sibling starts to drive and they're like, I'm not driving you anywhere, you're not cool. <laughs> I need to go. That's tough. That's tough. I, you can tell Flush is still has like trauma from that. <laughs> She's <laughs> she talked to a therapist about that, Flusha. Yes, yeah, so, yep. Yeah. <laughs> I will make sure that happens. <laughs> so, so are you the, the youngest of the three? Yes. Felicia, yes. there's no one after you. No. So you really. I, I took the everything heat. Or as, as the other sibling would say, who's not on the call, I got to do whatever I wanted. <laughs> yes, you got away with everything. Yeah. Everything. You like, yeah. curfew, whatever you want. Oh, I you want to totally go jump off curfew. a cliff? Go jump off a cliff, Felicia. That's amazing. <laughs> Stephanie's happy to run with this theme. <laughs> happy <know>. to. <laughs> so, so, so just to, to focus in on just one little point, and then I'd love to get into the yeah. actual the farming and some of the climate and some of the things we've, we've been kind of talking about in 2023 as a podcast. But, but when you then come to your your mom and and a lot of ideas are on the table, but until that point, alcohol use had not been on the table. Was she kind of welcoming to it? Was there a bit of warming her up? Was it a case of, look, we either sell the farm or this is this is one potential way out? Um, I don't think it was. We didn't go down the, the sell the farm and this is the way out. Because we, we didn't really realize at some points where they were because um, we had stayed so separated. We knew we'd get these random calls and we'd come to find out later. Oh, yeah, you saved it. But mm, uh, wow. it was a warming up. And it started with like... Banana flavored white dog. <laughs> well, it's been lovely having you both on today, but I think we've all got other things to do. <laughs> oh my gosh, your poor mom. She she bends the rule on alcohol and then walks banana flavored white dog. Yeah. Yes. And it worked. And now she'll drink stuff uh, neat. And uh, she is definitely, she loves it. And it's been an interesting progression to see her become more and more comfortable with, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. you know, she, at first she freaked out about everyone that had a beard, beards and tattoos. Cause that's really big, you know, here in the States is everyone, if you're a distiller, oh, you yeah. have a beard and you have tattoos <laughs> and massive stereotype, but <laughs> she had a hard time with that. And now she's like, this is great. Come and yeah, bring it on out. Them. We'll cook I for mean, them. Right. Yeah. We have but if you think in the seventies, a beard and a tattoo meant that you were a gangster on a motorbike. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So for mm-hmm. her, that's what she's here like, to cause trouble. So she was scared of them coming to the farm, and but then we're like, no, mom, you're gonna love these guys. They're just salt of the earth. You're gonna love, and she always has. She loves all of them now and hugs them, and you know, makes sure they have enough in their cup and have enough food on their plate, and she takes good care yeah. of them. But mm-hmm. when it came for her to have to commit to, okay, are you really gonna sell this corn? We did a trial. Like, how, mom? How about this? Because about a month mm-hmm. in, we were moving forward with Al. Mom was. You know, still stuck. We were like, we'll get her there. Let's just keep with the conversations candles, going forward. to church. <laughs> Praying. This is right. <laughs> she prayed. Dad was all for it. And he was the one. He was the rebel, of course. So he didn't have yeah. a problem with whiskey. He thought that would be fantastic. But, of course, you know, Mom was the one 
in charge of running, you know, the her her family side of the uh, the farm. And so, sure, we did a trial, and after the first trial, she got her first check. She didn't mind at all. <laughs> <laughs> we can keep doing what we're doing. Yep. So then she's like, "Okay, girls, you keep doing this. This will be all right." We're like, "Okay, well then." We'll just go for it. So we did. We we went for it pretty. And, you know, it was funny. Again, back to this divine interception with grandma or something. I mean, we grew pretty quickly. There was a big need in word of mouth. I mean, we didn't have to go out selling and even flyers or, you know, whatever at the time. Like, everybody started talking to each other. And before we knew it, we had a pretty solid customer base. And there's still our customers to this day. So, um that was really encouraging. Like, okay, we're on the right path. We're doing the right thing. And, um, and it brought us back to the farm in, in our own way, as I had mentioned earlier. So that was really cool. Yeah. So does this take us as far back as 2015 or, or that was the original conversation and things started building out of 2015? Yep. yep. October 2015. of 2015, um, we made our, you know, our, they ran a test batch with our grain um, in November, 2016. Right? What flush? No, we talked with them in November and then they ran a batch in May because uh, Laws just asked me for this information. We were solidly <laughs> um, working with them starting in May of 2016. That was solid, but they did a half us, half the other person to try to kind of yeah. see if there was a flavor profile. And they actually really noticed a difference with our corn. It wasn't just like, okay, it's a substitute, we're good to go they really felt like there was a solid difference to make the decision to go with us. It wasn't like charity or we're just going to go with it. Like, no, this is significant. This is better than what we're using today. And so we are making the right choice, not just to help a family farm, but we're making the right choice in where we want the quality of our product to go. Mm-hmm. And, the, and awesome. the good news with the good news, and we'll talk about it, I'm sure later in this conversation is we're irrigated corn. And you can't, okay. when you're, let's say you're buying from a co-op or you're buying from a large corporate, you don't always know if you're going to get some of this, where it's pulled from, what farm it came from, was it irrigated, was it dry land? And so we can kind of control our, our circles of corn in a way because we do have that irrigation. So yes, we'll still see some swings in the flavor profile year to year based on drought and temperatures and all the other stuff. But we still are able to give it enough water to maintain at least a certain level of expectation on the quality of the corn. Okay, so I feel that like we're in a place with a conversation we could splinter in a number of directions. I think as you bring up this irrigated corn, and it's the first time I've ever heard of there being two possibilities for corn. Maybe just in this moment, we can talk about what that means and the impact that that makes. And then I've got a specific question about corn and distillation that I can ask you coming out of it. But can you speak to irrigated corn and then the dry land corn that yeah. you're mentioning? So for us... <laughs> and I will we, try to, right, you'll try to learn like a new thing. It. Okay, here so we go. So I think you have to remember where we're located. So we talk very much into climate smart farming. Corn that's going to come out of Washington is going to be different than what you get from eastern Colorado, um, even than different than Kentucky um, or Iowa. They get a lot more water than we mm-hmm. do. They get a lot more rain. They're not... They, yes, they're dealing with some drought, but they just have... They're downstream. They just get more moisture. There's more humidity. Where we're at, there's a lot more fluctuations in specifically water um, 
And so, and with the environment being hot at, hot during the day and cool at night, this also fluctuates, makes the, the starches fluctuate in your corn. So we tested dryland corn this last year from a very, very good farmer, one of the farmers that we work with on some of our cereal grains, and his starch content on his just GMO yellow corn was about 10 points lower than what our irrigated is. So there is a, a definite difference. Um, and you think about it, know, yeah. And to okay. visualize an irrigated corn, typically, if you've ever flown over a farming area and you see all those little circles, yep, absolutely. Th- that's 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 irrigated. So there's a pivot with a long string of towers and wheels and nozzles, and it runs in a circle and it irrigates. But with you. we buy uh, acreage in squares, essentially. And so the circle part gets irrigated. The yep. outside little square triangles get nothing. Right. That's yep. your dry land. Yep. And those corners it's, are uh, awful. Yeah. So you have no, uh, there's no good, good, good call on that stuff. There's no water in our dry land. Now you'll see uh, up here on the front range of Colorado, people will flood irrigate. So you'll still have squares, but then the water is coming in from pipes along the, the side of the field and it just waters mm-hmm. down. So you have to have a grade to make sure the water goes. And there's gotcha. pros and cons to all kinds of watering that, that farmers can do. Um, but yeah, our stu- for us, our dry land, and for people that are buying in Colorado, if they go to the co-op, you're going to get dry land mixed in, which has less starch content, versus, and then some irrigated thrown in, and who knows, God, what else that you get in than that. Whereas from, you know, if, we, if they work with a sole supplier, the distillery does like us, it's just going to come from this one field, and you're going to get the same thing. Gotcha. Gotcha. With a higher moisture content moisture. in the corn. Moisture Mo- starch. starch. Mostly starch. starch. Because you, higher starch, regardless if it's dry land or irrigated, you're going to harvest it at the same moisture level. Mm-hmm. Mm. Because, right, the corn, you, you harvest the corn, at least in eastern Colorado, in October. If you're going to eat, like, the sweet corn you get at the grocery store, that's getting harvested in August. So there's about two months... And it's a, a different varietals all have different things in how that dries out. But you let it dry, 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 dry till there's only 12% moisture, well, a little bit more than that, moisture left in the kernel. And so you have to wait until it's down to a picking moisture that it won't mold if you pick it too wet. It'll mold in the grain bin. And if it's dry enough but not so dry, it's underweighted. Or you ah. can't do as much with it. You yeah, because you do... You do make money on sometimes on the test weight. That's what they call it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All so, right, we're getting so for us in, <laughs> Well, we, we have it in, in whiskey where we've got OLA and RLA. Mm-hmm. So you've got original liters of alcohol and regauge liter liters of alcohol. Okay. So if you buy the cask at the volume it was filled at, you will receive less whiskey in that cask. Yep. And the price you pay per liter will go north. So I really get what you're talking about with a, a test weight being your price point, yep. because then whatever happens after that, you've already you know, made your money. You've already right. taken care of your end of the deal. I'm 100% with that. I understand the economics <laughs> of that. That's awesome. <laughs> so, so when you're then doing a circle, are you not growing anything in the dry land corners? Are you growing something else in the dry land corners? 
So dry land is Are, handled very differently from a, and mm -hmm. it's a, we can start digging into like crop rotation. You can't grow, mm -hmm. it's not, you can, some people do do it, but it ruins your soil. If you grow corn on corn on corn on one piece of, piece of dry land, you can do it with irrigated, but dry land you have to cycle through and, and there always has to be a year where nothing is grown on it. So it can, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm just revitalize a little bit we've there's somebody that's next to us that keeps growing corn on corn and their yields on their dry land their yields are you just look at the corn and you're like that's just so sad why are you why are you ruining the soil like that um mm -hmm. you really have to really maintain and, and be good so soil stewards um in all situations but especially with dry land and on some of our corners we're going to actually change them off into be just grass because they don't make enough yeah. there's not it's yeah. not worth it uh just from from the very brief amount I hear here, that sounds like a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or, or fill those dry corners with nitrogen fixers, some beans, yes. some soy. Yeah. Um, awesome. Okay, we, we actually uh, have a future episode coming up where we talk about soil stewardship as yeah. well um, with the, the spirit of Yorkshire Distillery. And so for listeners right now, we will be returning to this very topic. <laughs> And on the UK side of things and yep. where they are in the north of England and what that looks like for them. I, I still have my, my corn alcohol question lined up, but a moment ago, Stephanie, you had you'd popped in a, a line about water and streams. And I was I was explaining to Jess today that uh, Jess is our global sales manager mm -hmm. who's in Glasgow. And I was saying to her in America the person who has the water rights is the person who's really at the source of that of that water. Mm -hmm. And as that river, as that body of water moves, if you're farther downstream, you don't have the same rights as the person who's at the very top. And and she th thought that sounded quite interesting. And I and I said I would follow up with with both of you. How is how is that looking? Partly we've got Colorado drying out, mm -hmm. we've got the Colorado River you know, feeding California, if I'm right in saying mm -hmm. that, and the question of how much water will make it from Colorado to California, and your farm is in Colorado and you're saying we don't have enough water in Colorado. What do those water rights look like and what's it like to be dependent downstream on those who are upstream? So I, I, if anyone's out there may get this slightly wrong, but my understanding is, at least on the Eastern Colorado side, um, we pull from the Ogallala Aquifer, so our wells, and we have water rights, but the state is telling us we can only have so much of that, and they have been shrinking mm -hmm. it over time because mm -hmm. we have made agreements, and my understanding is so this, these agreements were made 100 years ago. It happened to be a year that was really wet when these agreements were made. Oh, boy. <laughs> so they're like, yeah, we got plenty of water, right? Never mm -hmm. realizing it was ever going to go away, and it's kind of a finite resource. So we are legally required to send a certain amount downstream, so much so that Bonnie Reservoir, which is right next to us, was um, emptied to support what we were required to give them legally, and we no longer have a okay. reservoir. So, so downstream from eastern Colorado is the Kansas, Nebraska's, the mm. opposite side of the California, opposite side of the Continental Divide. <clears throat> yeah. Mm -hmm. Keep going. So, we had, and we call it an acre feet. So we had 1,800 acre feet on some of our circles that we could pull that much water off. We're down to some of them being 500 in just 30 years. Oh, wow. So we have been wow. reducing a lot. There's a South Fork Republican River Water District 
is being tasked by the state of Colorado to turn off 29,000 acre feet of wells. So there are wow. people that are right in the middle that, yes, they will get compensated for turning off their wells, but their land in this particular area has a lot of sand. The only way you can farm is if you have water. They won't have water. So there goes all their mm -hmm. livelihood, and they're going to mm -hmm. have to switch to livestock or um, grazing cattle because that's, that, that's all that land will be able to do without water. So there goes a whole bunch of people's livelihoods in the middle yeah. of this district. We have three wells that are in this that are being tasked to being turned off. So then wow. there goes our irrigation. And we're, yeah, you can fight it to a point, but the state's going to tell you, nope, you have to turn it off. So, yeah, a lot of farmers are pretty upset in eastern Colorado. So what becomes the response to that? Do Are there varieties of corn or cereals or other grains that are low water usage? So this is this is where we kind of get into that GMO problem, right? There mm -hmm, are varieties mm -hmm. they they always produce. You know, the companies are smart in how they regionalize their varieties. Um, yes, but your your bushels per acre yield goes down significantly. So mm -hmm. you know we can bushel mm -hmm. over the two hundred marks on an irrigated this last corn. year of corn. This last year on corn, on dry land, we bushelled 30. It's a huge difference. And cereal That's grains are even more fluctuating. So wow. you, you lose livelihoods at that point. Now, there's some regenerative grasses, uh, wheats and rye that they are testing mm -hmm. to that you don't ever kill the plant. So you get like a... Like a Oh, flesh of the wheat. They're I'm perennials. Thinking. I know the what you're talking about. They're perennials. That, so you get like a root structure that could be 18 inches mm -hmm. below mm -hmm. ground, and you harvest, but you're never destroying the root structure. And so some of those perennial grains are being tested, and I, I, it might serve some of these purposes we're talking about. I haven't, we haven't been as involved. They're doing a lot of the testing, I know, in uh, Kansas. We just haven't been a part of those tests, but they are there. There's a lot of smart people trying to figure this out. Um, we're just less involved in it right now, and because we're so focused on selling grains that we know make good whiskey, we're less mm -hmm. inclined to kind of be in those conversations right now. And we have some so, people that are testing that particular variety, but they're not bushling very well at all. Okay, so yields are down, mm -hmm. prices will go up mm -hmm. to use them in any application, that application price yeah. will go up as well. But like Stephanie said, yeah. you know, people, I think this one's coming out of K-State, I think, um, Kansas State University, uh, they're working really hard, right? Everyone knows mm -hmm. and sees this coming and they're, how do we keep, how do we keep these economies going and defeat people? So Right, right. So, so, so I'm going to circle right back to this very topic. But I, I, since we're still kind of playing around with this, what does whiskey taste like when it comes from mm -hmm. uh, a well irrigated corn? Some of the talk that we have in whiskey circles is by the time it's been grown and fermented and distilled and matured, you're getting farther and farther and farther away from the flavour 
of that original raw ingredient. And, and I'm not saying I necessarily adhere to that or not, but it is a conversation that we have in whiskey circles. For you growing the corn, for you running the flavor tests, what are you finding contributing to that flavor? And, and what kind of flavor does your corn have when distilled? <laughs> <laughs> um, I know I feel, and I've talked to someone in the malting world that doesn't feel this way, right? Everyone's going to have an opinion about this. I feel within like corn varietals. So if you look at blue, red, green, there's a black one coming out of Peru, um, and just yellow, there is going to be a flavor difference. No matter how you distill it, how you ferment it, what kind of barrel, there will be a flavor difference. Um, I see the same happening in rye. If you go and look mm. at a far north study, rye study, they did a really cool job um, of because they are farmed to, to distillery, so they can just grow like a test plot of rye and then see how it flavors out or whatever. They did that. Mm -hmm. um, Super cool. There's definitely different flavors and different varieties. I have a tendency to stand on my little hill that I may die on that yellow <laughs> corn is just not yellow corn and that there is terroir in that. Um, and yes, there's that battle of how much does it get distilled out and how much does it stay in the barrel. But I do believe there is terroir in, and okay. this is why okay. different regions like Coming out of Texas, it's going to taste different than coming out of Colorado. Is it a barrel thing? I don't know, but I think it's worth the conversation. Nice, nice. Steph? For, for, the, for the record, that's Felicia going on record. <laughs> I'm, 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 you did come after me. <laughs> She's <laughs> defined the hill. There's my hill. No, this is Felicia's hill. She loves, to, she loves this hill, which is fine. I do love this hill. I cuddle with this hill a lot. <laughs> she looks for validation, though, so if anybody wants to validate her, please do. She'll feel better about herself. <laughs> well, it, it could be the Irish blood in you that's going for terroir because we've got Mark Rene, uh, you know, singing the, the, the truth about barley growing yes. in Ireland, having terroir, mm -hmm. you know. It's going to so, taste different out of there than it does the barley grown, you know, here in the Front Range of Colorado or down south at Colorado right. Malting Company. That's going to taste different. Right. It will taste different. So, and it will cook differently, too. I just think on your yields, like the yield you get coming off the still is the first spot where we hear feedback from distillers. Okay, came off the still this way, our yield turned out this way. I see, I taste a significant difference. Then it's the aging process. So then how does it shift through that maturation piece? And again, this goes back to, you know, people's preference, flavor preference. Because when are you going to put, do you want a little bit of grain flavor in that maturation or do you want to really remove the more the grain flavor, which also takes longer maturation to get there? And where's that happy mm -hmm. balance? Because, you know, one of the bottles that came out of Law's last batch, they were like, oh my gosh, this tastes exactly like your corn. And for some reason, batch, what, 28, 29, Eight. 28, mm -hmm. they're like, Oh my God, this has your corn written all over this batch. So we were just buying it like left and right. Like, wait, what are you doing? Like, okay. <laughs> Taste this, mom. You're right, right? <laughs> so we hear it specifically coming off the still in the white dog, and we hear it at maturation and during the maturation process where it's spiking in flavor, where it's mellowing, and, and how that plays out. But we get, 
I mean, we hear difference now. The terroir piece, is it going to mature differently in different regions? Of course, yes. I, I, I do believe in that too. And I, it, this goes back to your yeast. It goes back to what's in the air. Yes. It goes back yes. to a lot of different factors. You know, even, uh, was it last year, Felicia, in Denver, there was a big smoke cloud because of all the fires along mm. the West Coast. And so the distillers were a little bit worried because now they're getting a little bit of smoky flavor that wasn't normal mm-hmm. because of what was in the air in Denver for a couple of months. I mean, it was really yeah, bad. It was bad. And because Denver sits right on the other side of the Rocky Mountains, it kind of comes over the mountains and then hangs out. And so you can yep. get some of these smoke clouds um, kind of hanging out in Denver. So that makes a difference, too, just kind of the environment in which the air and how the air is interacting with that. And then, of course, there's water and everything else. But um, we've gone as far as even looking into what yeasts come off of our fields um, by the homestead, and what does that yeast look like, and is it anything that we can kind of create a proprietary yeast? And we um, don't think we have anything special at this point, but all those things we're looking into to see what is unique about growing in in our little region. And we run into, in our region, having a higher protein rye, um, which gives you more flavor and gives you less yield um, just because of the weather. So we mm-hmm. have to be really careful because it's so hot, you, your proteins will be higher. So like in Ireland, when they're growing in Ireland, and I know nothing about Ireland farming, but my generalization of it is that they're going to have pretty consistent weather. You know, they're going to have some warm points, but it's never going to be like super extreme <laughs> yeah. and yeah. not going to be super droughted. I guess it could be right. Cause we're all dealing with some climate issues. Um, yep. but their barley year over year is going to taste different. At least here it does. You know, uh, the rye that we harvested, um, this year was a f- at 14 and we had a distiller be like, this tastes amazing, but I got nothing out of it because this, the proteins were too hot. <sighs> Oh, it's, it, oh, there's so many questions to ask. <laughs> uh, Are we going to so, get round two on this? <laughs> always, always, always. <laughs> so, it's, so it's interesting. But so so it's, it's both what, what Stephanie had said a second ago mm-hmm. and, and Felicia adding on here as well, which is for us in Scotland, we've heard for, for years, really two, now three decades for this recent go around with whiskey, that barley is just a commodity. Get it from oh. wherever you can. Get your yield out of it. Nope. And and that yield at distillation will tell you if you're using the right barley or not, the right raw ingredient. Then, to your point, Felicia, when you then say, well, let's, let's talk flavor. Let's go down a flavor path. Sometimes you turn around and you say, well, the yield fell through the floor. Mm-hmm. We, we can't afford to make whiskey the way we've made whiskey based on that flavor because of that yield. For you, I would ima- I would imagine both of you are having these types of conversations with producers who are coming to you looking for flavor, but then turning around and going, well, there's no yield out of this. Where does that conversation go? If, 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 if I or the listeners, Joshua, for sitting in that room, where does the conversation go? Well, if it's bourbon, you would, you know, you end up adding just more corn in because then that can just, that can compensate for your yield, which goes back to corn is just corn, right? Just like barley Uh is just uh barley over there. Uh Um, (laughs) Hurts my heart. Um, (laughs) But they're going to, this is why I think in Colorado and craft distilleries, Steph, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, that they really focus on batching. 
There isn't, they don't, and they're so small that they can allow for those fluctuations and explain it in their marketing. They're like, this year it's going to taste different because this is what was going on yes. at the farmers. You know, when they become very farm focused, you can have these fluctuations. You know, some of these big producers, they got to make sure it tastes the same all the time. Completely fine, mm -hmm. right? That Exactly, yep. Awesome, Consistency. Very consistent. But you work with craft distillers, they can sit there and go, this batch is going to taste different because of X, Y, Z. Yep. It's just a so is it turning that it's turning a little bit of that negative into a bit of that positive mm -hmm. and, or, or even just being honest, right? Honesty yeah. in marketing to say our yield went down, our price is this. Right. Do you want to pay it? Right. And you kind of see that in the wine industry um, with grapes okay. and good growing years and bad and stressed yeah. grapes and not yeah. stressed grapes and how they market that. Because, right, some bottles, when you get into the more craft wineries, right? Some of those batches are more expensive than if you bought it the year before because there was less, fewer grapes or fewer production from the grapes. So it starts to oh, look a little bit That's a great like example. That. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. I will think about that going forward. I will, I will mention that more as well. That's, yeah. Thank you, Stephanie. That's awesome. Yeah, because it goes I back to the terroir. <laughs> and, and there was a, a now closed distillery. She's back at our hill, Stephanie. <laughs> She's, She's on a hill. <laughs> she was never off it. <laughs> well, there was a, a now closed distillery, which is really sad that it closed. But they had tested uh, barley at an elevation. They were in Nevada. And a mile away, the elevation was the same variety. The, a mile away, the elevation was 500 feet different, difference in feet. And it's not that far away from each other. And that barley came out different. Hmm. Hmm. Which, which I think if you go by grain, I think people will concede grains can be different. Mm -hmm. Not quite. But I think that argument is by the time it comes out the yes. other side, those differences have gone. And, and I think it's for some people making that argument of, no, 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 that, that yeah. will remain. It will that, remain. That, that, that will still be in there. And that's exactly... Uh, well, Stephanie. Two, there's probably a factor in there about how many times you run it through the still. Like, how clean are you running it, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, people love mm -hmm. the vodka mm -hmm. if it doesn't have flavor, and people like vodka that has their flavor. But if you want flavorless vodka, you're going to run it through the column still Four a few times. times, possibly, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you're going to be using a column still, not a pot still. So some of those just as an distiller artist and knowing what you want to get out of it will drive mm -hmm. what flavor's left, Yep. So I would yep. I'd put a little bit of that back on if you really want to bring out the flavor of this corn because you love it so much. And people do this all the time with blue corn. People are very successful with blue corn and red corn. You can taste the difference. So it does. Yeah. And so can yellow corn have its differences? It can't just less like it's less pronounced. It probably takes a bit more of a palate or a, somebody to coax out that flavor differently in the process of distilling it. There's definitely different flavors in varieties of rye. We we see that for sure. Right, even coming out, coming out of the finished product or coming out of the field. Both. There you go. This I is why go that. look at the Far it. North Spirits Rye Study. It it's phenomenal. Okay, so Far North, North Spirits Spirits Rye Study. Out of which right. state, Flusha? Minnesota. Minnesota. Very very okay. North Minnesota. Okay, well, we have we have a geeky listenership who would be happy to read up on that. There will be people downloading. I know that they, they go go look. look. <laughs> if you can find some far north, they use. I think they use Hazlitt in their rye, on a regular basis. Okay, okay, and Hazlitt is a species? variety of rye. Variety. Mm -hmm. Gotcha, and not like some other magical ingredient no, no. or something along <laughs> the way. 
Um, okay, I'm, I'm conscious of the clock on the wall. I'm conscious of still having thousands of things yeah. to say to you. There is, there's one in particular that I definitely want to get into today's recording, which is in 2023, and, and now that we've kicked off season seven here, we want to be talking about global climate change. We want to be talking to people who are boots on the ground, who are living this and seeing this. One of the things we're saying is those in rural agricultural communities tend to be on the right of the aisle. Again, mm -hmm. generalization. Those who are in cities consuming a lot of these products tend to be on the left of the aisle. But it, to me, it seems like we've moved beyond that. Like that, that's no longer a useful sticking point. It's a, uh, look, the shit is hitting the fan mm -hmm. and we need to be having real conversations today, regardless of political opinion. So leave your politics out of this. As we're pushing on through this and you're talking about wells being shut off and the, the, the amount of water you have available for your fields being reduced, farms going out of business, what... What is possible here? What do you see as you look forward and you're thinking about this farm and these relationships and this business? That's a it's a big one. question. It's a very I understand. Big question. We're, we're back at your dining room table <laughs> with your family again saying, what's the future? We should have whiskey for this. This needs, a, this needs a whiskey. <laughs> um... So I know technology is trying to catch up on some of this. Um, uh, we use pivot sprinklers, so we have a lot of control over evaporation. Um, oh, one okay. of the pros of pivot sprinklers versus uh, flood irrigation, because flood, you just water just goes down and all of that can to, um, evaporate out. So, you know, there's, there's definitely technology that's coming out for those sprinklers to be able to make sure the water, we use less water we regulate how much less water we, we use um, and the how the water spreads over the field. So, you know, a lot of us have grass, right? So the, 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 the heads pop up. Well, we have those same things on the sprinklers, but they hang down really low to the ground. Uh, and there's okay. different kinds of heads that will use less water, but more efficiently. So mm -hmm. just being aware of that. And, you know, from a water perspective, that's one of the biggest things. Um, we just have to keep being very careful about our water usage and, and using that technology and, and investing in that so we do have water for the future. Outside of that, I, don't, I just wish legislation would figure out how we can keep some of our water and understanding that California still needs it, Arizona needs it or whatever, but, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. legally, what can we do? And that's... And so when we talk about climate change, right, so farmers are starting to change their crops. Like the crops that we grew at the farm in the 1970s are different than the crops we're growing today because of, mm -hmm. you know, inputs, you know, and we can talk about fertilizer here for a minute. Because I think when Flusha was talking about Please. technology, there's some, what, you know, the, the farming equipment Flusha and I grew up with were small tractors that didn't have radios, didn't have air conditioning, you know, dad would come home at six and he'd be like, had roasted himself to a pulp and, you know, he had some radio with two double D batteries in it and, you know, and he could maybe hear what was going on or not. Now these inside of these cabs are computers. They can yeah. auto drive. But what's cool about this, this is where the technology comes in to help offset all these different climate changes things too, is 
fertilizing and where to fertilize. So we get a map of the field, and Felicia can explain this better. We do, we work with an agronomist to map the whole field and understand the soil and the differences in the soil. And so you get like, you know, red spots and green spots, yellow spots and all that kind of, we like, okay, so this is what the field looks like. And if it's on a hill, it's going to different, um, minerals and nutrients are going to sit in different areas. Then, so we can start farming differently to the part of the land that's on the hill. We can farm differently to, for some reason, one circle is just not performing as well as another in terms of the nutrients in the soil. And so we take these maps and you essentially load them into the tractor and then the tractor can make the adjustments when you're fertilizing and doing everything else. (laughs) So yeah, variable rate fertilizing is something that we just put into play this year. Um, Now that we have full control over our land and Stephanie and I are running it. yeah, we put this into play, and we found out that we have a bunch of nitrogen storage in that soil. Well, let's yep. let's not let's not yep. take any more fertilizer, no more nitrogen from China and Russia, and like let's just not. Great, we won't use it, and yep. um, be really smart about. You know, at this point, we don't want to plant cover crops because they add nitrogen to the soil. Yep, so exactly. So we don't need exactly. to be doing that. Um, we do other things because, yeah. We just, there's just too much nitrogen as there is. Now, it's other parts of the country, they're going to want to do that, right? That's that's appropriate for their area. And there's um, more water in those areas, too, and right. everything else, right? Because some of that, we start talking about all these ideas of what people are doing all over the United States, which is really cool, but it's not always applicable to your local farmer. Your local farmer mm-hmm. may not be able to do that just because of the way the climate is. So that's why we talk a lot about what is appropriate for our region, Um and cover crop in our soils isn't appropriate because we have too much nitrogen. So to keep the soil from blowing away, we leave all the stalks yep. up. And now the combines, they don't have the beautiful circular, you know, be- the pictures we've always seen of combines harvesting wheat. That's Some people still use them. We don't. We have stripper heads. And so they just strip off the seeds. And so you uh-huh. have these really tall stalks. And we leave them out there to gotcha. keep the soil safe from being blown away in our windy area is how we protect our soils fantastic fantastic which which i would assume also offers wintering homes for pollinators yes as well which can be a a a net benefit as well and bur um uh pheasants we do a lot of pheasants out there quail keeps deer happy um yeah and then we bring in cattle we'll sometimes run cattle on our ground which then um during the winter which they eat the corn that may have not gotten into the combine. That keeps them happy and mm-hmm. fat, and the feedlots mm-hmm. are super stoked about the, the the grazing. But they leave their poop, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so natural fertilizer. <laughs> natural fertilizing is happening. <laughs> well, and we're actually even, there's more farmers creating, farmers, I should say ranchers, creating fertilized businesses from the, the output on the back end from mm-hmm. the cattle. So they sure. harvest the manure and then resell it back to us farmers because that that fertilizer has a different quality to it than, let's say, the artificial fertilizer we're buying out of Russia and mm-hmm. in China. Yep. So mm-hmm. there are farmers making money reselling poop. <laughs> yeah. it's, 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 all, it's all wonderful to hear. I, I know that we have witnessed this kind of cookie-cutter approach to agriculture mm-hmm. and to farming. And it's nice to hear about 
technology being used for good, yeah. as opposed to often the stories we hear about technology and farming is is for bad. And that uh, frustrates me. That that actually really frustrates me because I think you only get one side of the story. And I think farmers have been working really hard to be good stewards. I don't. I mean, they own this land. They don't want it to stop producing or to not be able to feed people. And I think they work really hard. Do we agree maybe on some of the tactics that they're taking because we don't understand possibly? Um, but I constantly am bringing to the guy that, that we work with from our farming partner, well, what about this? What about this? And he's like, mm-hmm. oh, I've tried that, mm-hmm. but it didn't work really well because of our environment here, or we can't do that because of our, our watering situation, but they can do that in the middle of Kansas. And you're like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So it just depends on where you land on what can happen. Well, and well, Jason, to kind of bring imagine, it... Yeah, please. please I'm just going to try to bring it full circle back to, right, we've got... Those working the land out in the country, rural areas, and then we've got the city folk, and I know Felicia bridges that pretty well because she's back and forth from the city to the farm quite often, and so she's having multiple conversations all the time. And I think one thing that we've been able to do from our point of view, being kind of the middle broker between our distillers who live in the city and our farmers, is we are now creating a conversation with our distillers and now talking to our farm and our farmers and understanding Mm-hmm. the process, the understanding of what's happening and why. But what they do is when they go back to their distillery, they're explaining to their customers what's happening in the farm. So they're now our yeah. voice of all the things that are happening. And Flush and I take some pride in saying, hey, we made those relationships happen. We are helping mm-hmm. bridge that gap that has whatever society's created here. We're kind of hoping to get people back into the middle so they can at least understand what's happening in the farm. And if our distillers and then their salespeople just continue to share that message, you know, Flish and I are advocates of helping people understand the whys on both sides. And there's never the perfect or the right answer, but there's a reason. And the people who are making those decisions are doing the best that they think they can. I really do. I think everybody has the best of heart in in how Mm -hmm. they are operating. And they're totally willing to change if something comes different that's better. But there has to be reasoning as to why it's better. Well, and I think that's my takeaway from today's conversation is we look at the problems of agriculture coming from cookie-cutter solutions. And in listening to you today, I'm thinking to myself, gosh, a lot of the things that I think of as solutions in agriculture Mm -hmm our cookie cutter, right? The fact that you're saying, well, our soil's got more nitrogen than it needs. We don't need ground cover, right? Yeah. Here in Virginia, we talk about ground cover all the time. Which is great right? for you guys. That's awesome. <laughs> right? Ground cover to your right. heart's content. <laughs> right? I, I think that's such a nice point to take from today's conversation that we, on both sides, we can be mm-hmm. guilty of running around with, with a single cookie cutter, often because we're trying to make life easier, often because we're trying to communicate in as few words as possible. And I think as an hour with you both shows, it's not enough. It's the beginning of a conversation. <laughs> yeah. It's not the end of a conversation. Um, before we get out of here, I do want to acknowledge that this episode is dropping on International Women's Day. And Yay! It, Thank it, you! <laughs> and it, it has been a pleasure talking to two smart, educated women who are the future of agriculture. <laughs> and, and that's a really exciting thing for me and, and for our listeners as well. Um, If there's anything you want to add on International Women's Day, I would be happy to give you the floor. 
uh, before we get out of here. I'm going to shout out to all the women who run the operations behind the scenes at farms. I do think women, you know, we grew up with a, a woman running the whole thing from an operational perspective. Exactly. And I think there's a lot more women that we know that we even know about that are running and running the show at their own farms. Yeah. Brilliant. So Brilliant. shout out to them because it's hard work. I mean, it's all it hard, work. hard work. I mean, nothing easy about running a farm, but both being in the field and behind the desk um, takes a lot. And I think there's a lot of women that are, are stepping in to, you know, we met a woman that just at one of our recent conferences who bought a farm. Bought, how, much, how much did she buy? 160 acres? And she's know. farming it on her own. In her, in her wow. 20s, bought a farm mm-hmm. and is going to do it on her own. She's like, you know what? I can do this. <laughs> she's and she can. Good honor. Yeah. <laughs> Good honor. Where did you say she made? Where is I don't the know, farm? Where, where was Twyla's stuff? Oh, I forget. I want to say it's Indiana, maybe. But, but yeah, women Iowa. are stepping into the tractors and making the big decisions, and we need to give them props for that and for the husbands supporting them. Brilliant. Well, next time we speak, Felicia, we want to know how driving a tractor has worked out for you. I know. <laughs> well, she may not be able to join because she's going to be repaying time. the debt for crashing it. <laughs> we'll be tuning in to the cab via satellite yes. uh, to record the episode. <laughs> uh, well, sincere thanks to both of you I really appreciate you making time for us uh, and I know this is the type of conversation that we want to be having going forward so until we speak again uh, thanks ever so much thank you cheers to you thank you Jason cheers to everybody and cheers to you Listening back to that conversation, I'm kicking myself even harder <laughs> than I was before having to bow out of the conversation. You guys had a brilliant talk. I I, I loved it. And there was there was one element that really struck me, and it was this this idea about this one size fits all to, mm-hmm. um, idea to agriculture and how it doesn't really work it was it's really telling right you and i've been talking about this impending interview with david thompson spirit of yorkshire distillery i mentioned it in the conversation with felicia and stephanie here with with david as our listeners will hear when we actually do go ahead and release that episode we're talking about ground cover with david and the need for ground cover and, and for us here in Virginia, you know, tomorrow my wife and I, we've got a, a small yard, but we've also got um, a farm at the end of our of, of our backyard. Mm-hmm. Ground cover's hugely important. Mm-hmm. It fixes nitrogen, it stops soil erosion, it stops soil blowing away in the wind, a la the Dust Bowl of the 1940s mm-hmm. and the central states of the United States. Here you've got Felicia and Stephanie saying, yeah, we've got more nitrogen in the soil than we know what to do with. Wild, right? Ground right? cover yeah. <laughs> would only put more nitrogen into our soil. We do this other thing to keep the soil from eroding and blowing away. And in doing this thing, which is leaving stalks up in the ground from corn harvesting, they've got a place for cattle to go. They're getting... Uh, excrement, uh, right? Right? Deposits from cattle mm-hmm. that's fertilizing their soil. There, there's a number of different ways to do this, and it, it was good for me to hear it as well. I like getting out of that headspace that is 
okay, one size fits all. I've got my five bulleted list uh, of, of tasks and checkpoints. It's like, no, take a breath. Listen to the people you're talking to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Listen to what they say they're doing and they're able to do and and what their region looks like and what their region, region does and implement a different solution. Yeah. I, I thought, I, I'm with you, Joshua. That, that was a huge takeaway for me. And and I I think gives us something to return to mm-hmm. uh, with Felicia and Stephanie as we go forth um, through the rest of season seven and, and even as we turn our attention uh, beyond that as well. Well, what's, what's nice, and this is the last thing that I'll add to this, what's nice about this in hearing that people have different experiences, and, and you, you mm-hmm. just touched on it yourself, mm-hmm. it gives us more information as we talk more with, with people like Felicia and Stephanie and, and David and, and, and who knows else as, as the season and as the years go on. The more we learn, the more we're able to form new questions. And, yep. and think about things in, in a different way. And yeah, I, th- I, yep. I think it's great. And I just hope my sincere, like obviously you and I want to learn, but we're here to help our listeners learn. So I, I'm hoping that they're taking away this positivity that in the same manner that we are. Well, and, and I hope it's also sending a message, which is in talking to David mm. and Felicia and Stephanie and, and you and I talking and, and where the inspiration came from this in, in January and in, in talking to Susanna as well, we are all refusing to have climate change and the realities of living with climate change be politicised. We're just yes. refusing that. We're just yeah. yep. rejecting that out of hand. Yep. And we're saying, look, we're not going to avoid this because it might affect somebody or, or or make someone tune out because politics showed up. This isn't political. You talk to Stephanie and mm-hmm. and Felicia, it's not a political issue. It's a it's a real everyday water supply issue for them. Yeah. You talk to David and we'll hear later when we get to David, it's about soil and holding on to soil and creating healthy soil. Yeah. When you talk to Susanna, it's about how do we do the right thing by the environment as we're supporting brands and how are brands spending their money to support the environment and do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Like, where's politics in any of that? Nowhere. Right? It's the world in which we're living our lives day in and day out. Yeah. And I, I love the fact that we're sending, all of us combined are sending this message to brands, to producers, this is what we want to be talking about. We want to be hearing what you're doing about it. Let's press on. Now, you and I, Jason, have... We really don't have much news to be sharing this time around. We really shared the, the bulk of the news in our previous episode when we launched our our, our Sherry North British and, and our French Brandy. However, you've got something in the chamber. Yeah. As we sit here with this launch on March 8th, our bottling of Rest of the World 4, which is Jesse's next round of releases. Those are scheduled to be bottled 
the week of March 13. So we will be getting ever closer. And I will I will go on the record here and say in the very next episode, we will be talking with Jess Lomas, our global sales manager based out of Glasgow, about her fourth rest of the world release. And we will give distilleries and we will give styles and we will give cast types and we will talk about anything else that comes to mind. (laughs) And that will be wonderful. We just have to make it work around a pretty busy travel schedule that she's got coming up that will have her country hopping for a couple of weeks. So I'm going on record saying we want her on the next episode. If she's not, it's because she was traveling (laughs) and it did not come to pass. Without giving any details away, all all I will say, this is all I'm going to say is, Jason, you know, it, it, it was nice when we were only supplying whiskey to the U.S. Because oh, I think there's a little green-eyed monster over there. I think I know where this is going. We didn't have to worry about not having access to the whiskeys we bottled. And, and knowing what's in rest of the world release number four, I am floored, absolutely floored what we put into this. You know, and and I'm just, well, I'm going to have to get some, but people in the UK and Germany and Sweden, Japan and Israel, they are going to be over the moon. Canada. I'm curious. I'm curious when our listeners hear it, if they say to themselves, is it too good? I wonder if that's what they say. (laughs) Is it too good? Um, did, did you did you say in the preamble? I know that I was holding space to get to uh, to my quick announcement about ROW four and and bringing Jess on, but um, the French brandy and the and the North British, as of this recording, they have started shipping. Mm-hmm. There are some bottles remaining in the online store, and uh, we have a few other offerings. Uh, lower numbers now. Uh, Black Button is running out if that's something mm-hmm. you'd like to yeah, pick up and, right. and ship within America uh, The Good Ride, our, our charitable bottling with um, Kerry Hart and Big B that's that's ticking along lower numbers available there now mm-hmm. uh, the VDC has sold out you know, you, you make it your <laughs> SCN of the year and, and these things happen um, so yeah the long story short is go take a look at the website, if you're in America uh, have a look at singlecastnation.com. You will be able to ship bottles uh, to your doorstep. And uh, a few things are are sitting there waiting to be purchased. I think mm-hmm. that wraps up the news. I will throw one more thing. Okay. If you can find, dear listener, uh, based in America, if you can find Wolf Island in your local stockist, there is a take one version as the original. There is a take two version, which is the release that came in with our retail release number nine for the United States. You will tell the difference because take one has no clapper board. Yep. 
that's the, the famous device. I, th- yeah, that they I thought clack you were going to say you could tell the difference the flavor-wise, but yeah. So you can. You, yeah. Oh, you, you can. can. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, buy but, them. Um, yeah. Actually, when we end this recording, uh, Greg Swartz, the director of Water, of Water of Life Film, is actually doing a live taste test uh, on his uh, channel. Um, I love it. Which, yeah, a little side by side. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But but to the point. Yeah. Thank you. Take one does not have the clapperboard over the sheep's face. Take two does have the clapperboard, and it says take two on it. So that's and I, I will you say, know. yeah, that's how you that's know. That's how you know. And so I will say it. Yeah. Those who know know, but I and those who have just told now know as well. But I will say, if you find the version without the clapperboard, that is rare at this point Mm -hmm. you are more likely to find the version with the clapperboard and if you can find both i highly recommend doing a side by side oh yeah for exactly that reason right like note the subtle differences each of them is five casks of first fill bourbon non-peated spirit combined with one cask of peated spirit which is a Highland peat going into that mix. Mm-hmm. Well, it is not an Isla peat well, going into that mix. Well done with the uh, with the clarifications there. Is now, Jason, a good time for me to bring in Holly Sidewan's email? I think it would be a perfect time. Perfect. So, I've uh, also poured a little dram uh-huh. that I will contemplate while I am listening to this email and. And maybe we'll turn our attention to the drams after the email and then we'll get out of here. Okay, perfect, perfect, perfect. Okay, so this email came in uh, towards the end of February and Holly's email subject line just says, podcast comment, Susanna episode, DTC. Hi, Joshua and Jason. I listen to all of your podcast episodes, but when I see Susanna is on, I listen immediately. Uh, And rightly so, rightly so. She goes on, everyone has an opinion about direct-to-consumer, or DTC. It's become such an emotional topic depending on what side you're on. I know for me, it keeps me up riddled with anxiety most nights. Mm. And she adds in... Ha! With a exclamation point. Hey, we're, we're we're all up with some version of anxiety at nights. It's, it's what's your particular flavor? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, right. Um, and and so she goes on. She says, anyways, I wanted to add one thing that we have seen over the past two years in retail land. The conversation is typically around distributors fighting against it. But we were stoked to learn a lot of small retailers are fighting against it at the local and state level. Many independent retailers have lumped DTC into the total wine fight. They aren't wrong. If Tito's can be shipped anywhere, they're in trouble. They'll need to specialize or provide a better experience. I'm not tooting our own horn here at First Feel Spirits, but I was shocked to hear this from retailers. The archaic restrictive laws have really limited us uh, as a specialty shop that gets calls and emails daily about shipping our curated bottles. 
Again, I just wanted to throw that out there as something I didn't see coming now that I'm on the ugly, dusty side of retail. (laughs) So the ugly, dusty side of retail, she says? That's what she says. The ugly, dusty side. Mm. Interesting. Because clearly dusty gets a certain type of of whiskey person Excited. excited. Yeah, excited. Right. But this is the ugly, dusty side. Uh, she she begins to close here. She says, I'm so very hopeful distilleries can get their rights back. And then we can see that trickle down to us in retail, hopefully before I'm in the nursing home. I hope to see you both <laughs> soon. Holly. Fantastic. Really, really, really fantastic. It's this perspective that we desperately want to hear and and you and I've talked about and and to be fair we have talked about it for a couple of years here but we we want to have a retailer episode of Mm, this podcast mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um I want to further discuss this with Holly uh in a future episode we will need to bring her on as a guest we've had her on previously as you rightly said when she was in the the brand different perspectives yeah And as a store owner, I would absolutely love to hear her perspective. I wonder, I wonder if we're saying similar things here. And I I wonder if if we're not so far apart. She said something very telling in her email, which was, those who stand a chance of being left behind by DTC need to improve and or offer a better experience. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I think that is key. And I I, I come from, obviously, the, the specialist IB side of things. I come from the specialist consumer side of things. I'm not walking into my local ABC and picking up a handle of Jack, a handle of Jim, mm-hmm. a handle of Tito's, right? I, I'm not that consumer. I'm seeking out esoteric cask strength, oftentimes single cask products. Yeah. Right. Right. I understand I understand my perspective as and a very different uh, end of this this industry spectrum. Mm-hmm. But I also know that Holly is offering up a very specialist, a very well curated oh, yeah. selection yep. of whiskies. Yep. Yep. And I don't know if that type of retailer has as much to worry about from DTC. I think that type of retailer has already made their decision on how they're going to go about making money. And it's without the Jacks and the Tito's and the Beams Mm. of the world. Mm -hmm. Like Holly Holly and Charles, you know, co-owners, have already set themselves a high degree of difficulty in pulling off this store. I also believe in the two of them to pull off this store, right? But it's a very different proposition than having a corner liquor store that everybody plows through to come and get the stuff in brown bags that gets them where they're going. Exactly. They have created slash curated a very different liquor shopping experience. You know, just really quickly on this subject, 
Um, I was talking with someone today who had who had been to uh, Norfolk Wine and Spirits for the first time. We, we've mentioned the shop countless times on the website, on the website, <laughs> on the podcast, talking about Bikram and how he, mm-hmm. the shop owner, and how he has created an independent bottler mecca, if you will. If you go into mm-hmm. his shop and you just turn left and look at the walls, you'll see that the vast majority of scotch whiskey that he carries is scotch whiskey that's been bottled by independent bottlers and not necessarily coming from the distilleries. And the question that came to me after talking to this person earlier was how, because let me pause there. The reason he asked this question is the shop isn't in like, it's not in some downtown area. It's not in a fancy big wig mm-hmm. area. It's in a tiny little town mm-hmm. called Norfolk that few, if anybody really knows of. And he said, how is he getting all of these customers and everybody to come through and all of these suppliers? And I said, because he's created a very specific shop that, that's become a destination point for people. Yep. And... Yep. And then he's spent the time working with his customers to educate them through the whiskeys that he's selling. And now so people seek him out. And now he's created a local group. And people come far and wide. And when suppliers hear that he's done such a thing, well, people are going to fly across the sea to make sure they, they, you know, they visit his shop and they visit him. It's... and. He's not selling loads of Tito's by the handle and Jack by the handle and all things like you had said. He's focused and he's providing a different consumer experience than right. any of the other shops. And if if Bikram could ship to to Virginia, I would be buying from him. Yeah. If Holly could ship to Virginia, I would be buying from her. Those are the stores that we are looking for yeah. yep. to supplies. And, and so when I hear DTC, I, I, I think of one part, which is our single cast nation model, which is you, you buy from us on a website and it gets shipped to your doorstep. Behind the curtain is a three-tier system. Mm-hmm. I, I can envision a world where DTC means your bricks and mortar retail store has a curated selection that you can ship across state lines, that you can ship far and wide. And so to hear Holly in her email talk about changing legislation, I feel like it's the number one solution you and I offer for a host of industry problems. Mm-hmm. And it's absolutely another application of that potential solution, <laughs> which is let's get product moving across state lines and let buyers, wherever they are in the United States, make purchases from smart retail store owners wherever they are in the United States and make purchases direct from producers as well. Mm-hmm. Like, let's have it all happen and see what it looks like. And, and distributors and large big box retailers can still be protected. The shops like like First Fill, like Norfolk, like, you know, insert specialty shop here they're focused on a very different thing. And my understanding is those suppliers who want to maintain their distributor relationship are focused 
less on shipping directly their core products and more on shipping directly some of the specialty items and things like that. So yep. You, yep. like both worlds can live harmoniously side by side. There's going to be a learning curve. Things are going to change. The way we purchase is going to differ. The way distributors sell to retailers is going to be different, right? And, and so on. But none of it's impossible. Everything is possible. It's just how do we do it and how do we get the backing to make that happen? Yeah, this would be great to have Holly on to, yeah. to discuss this further yeah. Yeah. and hear her responses to what we are arguing here. There you go. So so thanks again to Holly for writing. Right, cheers, in. Holly. Um, we actually have a load of other emails that came in. We actually have some straggler emails from our mailbag episode that, that we do need to get to. I don't think today is the episode in which we will get to them. Emphasis on us being the stragglers and not the people sending in the questions. That's that's a very good point, Jason. Very good point. So they made a de- they made a deadline. <laughs> we just ran out of time in a podcast. Uh, so so, but we will bring those emails in. I wanted to, and you teased this before, Jason, that you... I just need to replenish my glass. I need to replenish my glass, but I've changed whiskeys that I've been <laughs> drinking. So so you had mentioned you've been revisiting... <laughs> you've been revisiting a whiskey and you've been enjoying it. Yeah, for the last week or so, mm-hmm. maybe 10 days, I've been revisiting this, this bottle. So the game we're going to play is, dear listener... What's in our glass? That's it. So I'm going to go to you first because you're you're the most cryptic of of the two of us. So I would say the color of your liquid is sort of a bright gold. Yep, I would have offered up reflective gold. Yep. We are in a similar ballpark here. Is there a is there a hint of green going on in there? Oh, definitely. And it has nothing to do with the office in which I'm sitting. (laughs) You just ate something bad and you're feeling green. Um, Yeah, I did. I did put a certain emoji behind it when I showed you the color. So the the thing that I've been noticing as I've been revisiting this bottling over the last uh, week to 10 days is there's a fruitiness on the nose. Okay that I don't recall as much from from earlier go-arounds with this. So then if, if you didn't experience a fruitiness before, something tells me that it was likely a peated <laughs> whiskey that did a better job oh. of hiding its own fruitiness. Uh, am, I, am I going down the right path? You're not, but that was that was an interesting comment that you made. That was, I quite liked that because I because I agree with you. I absolutely agree with you that sometimes when you're misled by peat, yeah, that you can sometimes return and find a bit more fruit when you move beyond uh, that peat influence. All right, so there's a fruitiness you haven't discovered before. Uh, so let me ask you a few questions here. Are we in the world of Scotch whiskey? We are, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. 
Are we cask strength or something a little less? Cask strength. Okay. Are we uh, hmm. owners bottling hmm. or independent bottling? OB or IB? I IB. IB. Okay. Single cask. Oh, I was I was getting something kind of grain forward there as well. Fruits and grains. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, good legs on it. Really nice oil right. in the glass here. Okay, so independently bottled, cask strength, single cask, scotch whiskey, not peated, bright golden color. Makes me think it's either some sort of a fresh bourbon or potentially a refill sherry. Could you describe uh, the notes on the nose you're getting? Describe the notes on the nose? Yeah. The nose that I've just been describing? Yeah, the notes that I haven't been listening to because I've been too busy <laughs> trying to process. But you repeated back to me. Did I repeat them back to you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I totally thought you were listening. You were repeating back the words I was saying. That's where I'm saying fruit. That's where I I'm got saying fruit. grain. No, you said grain. I didn't say grain. You said grain. That <laughs> you said grain back to me. You said, "Oh, that's interesting." Yeah, no, I I get that, but those aren't notes. Fruitiness and a grainy, like they are notes, but I'm I'm looking for oh, a bit more specificity so like, here. So so plump apricots. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Whole wheat toast. Okay, apricots. Whole wheat toast. Oh, interesting. Okay. I could say a thing, but I say it so much it's not gonna help you in the slightest. But I'm gonna say licorice all sorts on the nose as well. Okay. Um, interesting. Give me some palate notes. I I, I like this. Mm. I, ha I have a guess, or I'm 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 whittling down. I should say. Really unctuous. Okay. The oils that you can see in the glass are absolutely present on the palate. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There's an age to this. There's a there is a subtlety oh, to the palate. Okay. okay. But I would say what's really nice is the the fruit and the hay and even that sweetness from the, the licorice all sorts that was on the nose, it does carry on through the through the palate. Ah. There's there's something on the nose that leads through the palate as well that that when I first tried this, mm -hmm. okay. that was my area of focus. Mm -hmm. And it's now kind of receded a little bit. Um, and if I tell you what it is, you'll know exactly what whiskey this is. Ah, uh, okay. But but I do I do like that you said there's a bit of age to it. So so you're getting some yep. some more yep. subtle, some more delicate getting, notes. Getting pear drops, pear drops as I return to the nose. Oh, see that's interesting. I usually I usually associate pear drop notes with younger whiskeys simply because mm -hmm. pear mm -hmm. drop is such a, a new make kind of note. Mm -mm. Mm. No. And then, and then almost pears, pears, pears and ginger on the palate. Is this whiskey 30 years or older? No. Okay. Okay. This but you're not, you're not a million miles off. Ah. If you'd said 25 and older, you would have got a resounding yes from me. Aha. Aha. Okay. Do you want me? To, you're so close. Do you want me to tell you what used to be the focus and has now kind of receded a little bit? Yes. So it used to have this 
cigarette smoke quality to the nose. Ah, I know what it and is. And now there I've go. got this kind of <laughs> fresh pack of cigarettes on the palate, just just yeah. just softly, just yeah. subtly. But it, it kind of moves between a new pack of cigarettes and like a gentle clove, a gentle ginger, a gentle spice, right? It's in that kind of mm, realm. Mm-hmm. But what's what's really happened for me with this whiskey, and this has been the fun of revisiting in the last seven to ten days, is that fruit really presenting itself. I've really enjoyed that quality of it. And I don't know if it's here in Virginia, we've had some really warm spring-like days to go along with okay. some really terrible, cold, rainy, windy <laughs> winter yeah. days. Yeah. But on revisiting it on those warmer spring-like days, it has been such a little drinker. And it's it's soft and the, the strength is 52.4. So it's, it's not blowing your head off. So without looking at the details on the bottle, I'm going to reach for the bottle that I think it is. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to give you my notes and then we'll see if I'm correct. Okay. I'm not entirely sure what's happening, but I'm playing along. Something what, is going to happen. What I'm saying is I'm holding out my I'm holding out my hands and my eyes are closed. Continue. <laughs> what I'm saying is I think I know what bottling this is. And so therefore, I've I've made the whiskey I had in my glass previously go away. And by go away, I mean I, I put it down my throat. And I'm pouring the whiskey that I think you are enjoying, that you have been okay. revisiting. And I'm going to go over the notes and see if I'm correct. <laughs> you cool with that? And I'm not looking at the ABV. I didn't, I didn't even, I'm not looking at anything. So I'm not getting fruitiness, but I am getting that hint of, oh, Jesus. Oh, here's a cat on my shoulder. Hi, Angus. There is a cat on your shoulder. There is, a cat. There is no doubting Put that. your cat on my shoulder. Um, so I'm getting, I'm getting that cigarette smoke. It's, mm-hmm. it, and it's interesting, you know, usually, usually when we talk about whiskeys, there's that, if we're talking about tobacco, it's always cigars. It's cigar smoke. It's cigar wrappers. It's a humidor. And this is spe- specifically cigarette smoke. Mm-hmm. Bit of a funkiness to it. I'm not getting any of that fruit that you got. Interesting. But I do see the pear. I, I do now see the pear in it. It's like unripened pear. It's not baked pear. It's like fresh, still kind of hard as a rock pear. Not Nothing juicy on the nose, at least. It's going to be great if we're drinking two completely Wouldn't different Wouldn't that be whiskeys? funny? Wouldn't that be funny? I, I, don't, think, I don't think we are, Jason. <laughs> All right. On the palate... On the palate, it's leather. It's like a, a catcher's mitt. Followed by fruit. Here's where some of the fruit comes in. This is like boozy apricots and a little bit of pear. Are you getting any malt loaf? Oh, I love malt loaf. You know I love malt loaf. Hold on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it a go. Now I have to have malt loaf on my mind. Mm. Much less successful career than meatloaf. 
but but still respected in, in some circles. <laughs> it was more songs for vegetarians. Oh my gosh, fucking Malt It's my Love. favorite album, actually. Songs for Vegetarians. Oh my gosh, yeah. He, I think oh, it reached he number that. 59 in the Billboard Top 100. Yeah, I remember that. There was... He had that famous album. It was um, Zucchini Out of the Refrigerator. Do you remember that one? Like a zucchini out of the refrigerator, I'll be there before the light bulb goes out. <laughs> Won't you sleep on it? Baby, baby, let me sleep on it. Let me sleep on it. I'll give you an answer in the morning. I don't need to sleep on it, Jason. I think I know what whiskey you have. What are you drinking right now? I am drinking. Because <laughs> then there's no, you know, then there's no backing out of the reveal. What are you drinking right now? I am drinking our, as in ours, <laughs> as in single cast nations, 26 year old, fourth in the series of woodcut, a thrusk. 21 years in bourbon, yeah, five years I'm, in a I'm, carony I'm cast. lifting up my bottle. That is, <laughs> the, the, the top of it has been in shot for Joshua. It was the it, cigarette it and I And I, I really mean it. I have been returning to this, right? We selected it a long time ago. We gave purchasers regular updates on where the cask was and when it was being bottled and where the labels were and when it was being labeled, when it was being imported and when it was being shipped and... And finally they had it, but it came in around December time. And as is our way, we didn't bring in our bottles until after everybody had received no, theirs. of course not. Yeah. And, and so this actually came in at a time when I was moving offices and I didn't open it right away. Uh-huh. I was happy that the nation members had got their bottles. That was really my goal to get out of the year. Yeah, sure. And, and it's, it's only really been in kind of January. I opened it, got rid of the neck pour. <laughs> February, end of February, started returning uh-huh. to it and um, and kind of getting past the shoulders now and seeing how it's evolving. And I'm really happy with it. Like, you know, we, we selected it, gosh, maybe last summer, maybe last spring. It's do been you, a long, long time. Do you know what's interesting? Like you and I, we, we joke quite often about this idea of a neck pour. And I will say it here on wax. The idea that a the neck the liquid that is sitting in the neck of your bottle is bad liquid as compared to the rest of your bottle is one of the dumbest <laughs> thoughts and statements one can have. It doesn't make sense. It's ridiculous. What you're dealing with is a whiskey that or 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 other drink that may simply benefit from a, a little bit of oxygen. And that's what's so nice. You open up a bottle, mm-hmm. you pour out your, your mm-hmm. first bit of liquid, and then you revisit it a month later and it's different. And that's simply because some oxygen is doing its work. We had Ollie Chilton on talking about the benefits of oxygen in a cast to help that whiskey mature, right? So when I first opened this bottle and I pour the neck pour in my glass, I remember saying, this isn't how I remember it being in the cask. I'm not loving it as much. So what mm-hmm. I did is we, years ago, I'm talking like 2011, 2012, there was a nation member that sent me a wine aerator. And it's great, right? It's just this, it's this cylindrical thing that, that almost looks like a, a small funnel. 
And as the liquid goes through the funnel, there's two holes that are drilled in the side that pull air in as liquid goes through that funnel. So it naturally, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it aerates that liquid. And once I took a sip of the whiskey and I said, "Um, I think this might need a bit more air. I just grabbed another glass. I put the aerator in that other glass. I dumped my glass of whiskey through the aerator into the other glass. We're living in the future. And it was like, it was just like the experience of drinking it from the cask. Like it, it, it fixed that quote unquote neck pour issue. All it was, was a little bit of oxygen. It was great. And, and, you know, here I am. I mean, I I still have plenty of liquid left in the bottle to be drinking because I'm savoring it, but it made that neck pour just as good as the rest of the bottle. Get an aerator or just pour the whiskey and let it sit in your glass for 10 minutes. Like you don't have to like (laughs) pour it and and go for the gusto. Like whiskey, you should take a little time with your whiskey and right. And so that's rocking. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, that's really rocking. I I figured we were onto something when I started seeing some repeat orders coming in. Yeah. uh, With this sitting on the website, those that received it uh, were able to taste it and then revisit and make some uh, order some more bottles. So, so I figured, okay, I gotta, I gotta sit with this dram, mm-hmm. and I gotta do it over a series of days. And so I'm glad we got a chance to, to drink it. I've, I have now over the course of since, since we covered the email and then got into the tasting notes on this, I have poured two glasses, and they have been pretty decently sized pours mm-hmm. at that. Um, How far into your it's bottle a real are you? drinker? Uh, just past the shoulders. Okay, yeah, which is pretty much where I am. So there yep, you go. Yep. Yeah. We're about we're about in the same spot. I'm actually going to pour a third to get us out of here. Ah, smart. Um, next time we'll we'll guess what's in your glass. Next ah, time. Good. 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 Um, so since you've just been hitting all the bottles while we've been recording this, it's been a fucking great day, Jason. Just hitting all those <laughs> bottles. Um, <laughs> I have to go see how how things turned out with the buckets. All right. Well, yeah. I, I mean, I'm not getting drunk. I've got to go to synagogue later this evening, so... You None know. of us are getting drunk, Joshua. Yeah, but you, you you had to sort of, like, clarify, like, I can't drink all the things because i got to learn about buckets. So I'm just clarifying, you know. I just meant i got to wrap up this recording because i got to go ask my wife about the buckets. Cheer up, Jason. That's um, it. So That's it. <laughs> Uh, just really quickly, back to, to Holly's email and the fact that we have other emails to read. We will read those emails, and we're going to do a better job, maybe starting with the next episode. But if you had an email you wanted to send us, uh, really, really urge you to do so. You can email us questions at onenationunderwhiskey.com, info at singlecastnation.com. Both those emails will, will get to us. And I wanted to say... One last thing while I'm here, especially seeing as we have some a thrusk in our glass, and maybe this is the best way to get out of this. If you are a Single Cast Nation member, if you're familiar with our company in any way, shape, or form, you'll know that for the past couple of years, we've been a four-person team, Joshua, Jason, Jess, Elijah. And Indeed. February 28th, 2023 was Elijah Ammon's last day with Single Cast Nation. He's 
It was. He's, he's had two jobs, and he's decided to go with the one that's making him far more money <laughs> while, he, while he raises his, his, his ever-growing family. And having been two gents in the position that he's, in, that he's currently in, yeah. having to make yep, yep, decisions, yep. We, we can't fault him. All we can do is drink whiskey from his favorite distillery, a Thrusk, and it wish is. him the absolute best. He, he was a, an asset to us, a good friend and an asset to the company, and he'll be an asset to, to his current job and, and anywhere he may go as his life goes on. So, Elijah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah as, as much as February 28 marked the end of him being with us, I'm, I'm really glad we were able to get the four of us on a mailbag episode mm, mm-hmm. and we we got some of his perspective and some of Jesse's and obviously you and I register our perspective every two weeks but <laughs> it's always it was it was nice right we, we yeah. said that after the recording yeah. right it was really good to hear a 30 year old's perspective um, for sure Jess obviously a 25 year old's perspective you know like I don't know how she pulled off project 1989 uh, when that's Didn't not he, when she was that's born. The th- I don't even understand. What is a 25-year-old woman doing celebrating <laughs> a year that she obviously wasn't born in? Um, uh, but yeah. but I, I echo you. Cheers to Elijah and, and, and whatever you know is next for him. All, all the very best, my friend. Uh, to Jess, you know, the, the three of us continue on. We celebrate her this International Women's Day. And I, and I hope... It's obvious we celebrate her every day. And, and that's and what I was going to say. Year. It's, you know, <laughs> you know, International Women's Day is important because it great does. Great focus. It's a great it's a focus. great focus. And the month, right? The month of March, uh, Women's History Month. Yes, but women's history is history, <laughs> right? My, my, my point is women should be celebrated every day. Just not on March eighth. Not just on March eighth, and not just during the month of March. That's all. Oh, without any shadow of a doubt. But think of how much women's history hasn't been told. Without which is why it, yes, yes. Oh, uh, a month of focus is, is still an fantastic. important it, thing. You, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I, you know, it's it's back to back to John Lennon and imagine, imagine if we didn't need that, right? Wouldn't, wouldn't that imagine. be great? Um. So there we go. Imagine. So, Jason, imagine this episode being over. I am. <laughs> <laughs> I have been for 10 minutes. <laughs> 10 minutes? Oh, man. Well, Jason, I, I raise my glass to, to Felicia and Stephanie uh, for Indeed. being on the podcast episode today. I raise my glass to all women in whiskey and, and the work that they're doing, and, and hopefully we're doing our part as men in the industry, and I hope that other men in the industry also follow women's lead and, and, and help to support them um, as this industry grows. And I raise my glass to our very own Jess Lomas, our own female in the whiskey industry, and to Elijah, Indeed. and to our listeners, and then finally, Jason, to you. Cheers all. Oh yeah, I gotta clang it. Clang, oh, clang, here, clang, glass, glass yeah, meat bottle.